<laughs> Hi everyone, this is Nine Year Gap and I'm Robert Barbro. I'm laughing because my little puppy, Tula, she's a little aubergine or chocolate cocker spaniel and she's still a puppy and she's been in lockdown. So it's not very easy to have a puppy at the best of times. You see that there, there she goes again with her little, her little giraffe we call Rafi. And it is never easy to have a puppy to get it trained and to, you know, deal with the teething and all of the biting and all of that that's happening. She's going crazy, but next week she's going to be able to finally run wild in the park because she would have had her final vaccine. So many challenges, so many things that I didn't realize you really had to do when you get a puppy. But she, despite all the terror, is really quite beautiful. She's quite amazing. So I'm very happy to have a puppy. She keeps me motivated. She gets me, keeps me on my feet. And uh, my wife and I, honey, are loving having her. How has your week been? Have you been in lockdown? Have you not been in lockdown? The numbers are not very good here in the UK. It's it's a little bit of a difficult situation understanding what happens in the future. And a lot of people are very pessimistic in terms of when things can start. Sorry about the little, the little noise at the background there. I've been in discussions with people about, in various industries, about their thoughts on when they think they can comfortably start organizing events, entertainment or even gallery openings and things like that. All of this is happening online and it's all very convenient and it sounds very nice, but when can things go back to a sort of inverted commas normal? And the consensus seems to be 2022. There are some other people that are a little bit more optimistic than that. What does that mean for us and getting jobs? It's giving everyone a lot of time to really assess what they're doing. Now, I'm starting two projects here. I've got the podcast and I'm trying to get my name out there as someone in the media, as a broadcaster. I'm loving doing it and I'm learning about communications. These are the kind of jobs that I'm looking for. This is where I'm at right now. And with my work at Miele Canto, we're trying to have a new education, music education company and production company. And it seems that to get the ball rolling, you really should have had things established in the pre-COVID world, the non-online to get your client base, your customer base, unless you're a purely online business that you're selling a product that is, you know, a click, how many items delivered to your door, very simple, or a service that you require that's very essential for, I don't know, education or your job or a service that is, I don't know, cleaning your garden or whatever it is. Those kind of things work online. But getting a customer base online and starting online is really challenging. It seems that if you had already a client base before, then moving to online seems a very logical and easier step. So it's really challenging and I think it must be really frustrating for all sorts of people. I know it's frustrating me, but anyway, we're here to encourage. So I just want to say that if you've been enjoying our show, please subscribe to our socials. We are on Instagram at 9 Year Gap. We've got a link tree at 9 Year Gap. All of our links are on that one. Or just head to robertbarbara.com and click on the podcast page. You can even have a look at my website, see what I've been up to in the last 10 years or so. Feel free to leave comments or a review on your favorite podcast apps. We're basically on all of them. Our guests keep on delivering. They're giving us amazing stories, great insights. So we want to keep this conversation going, keep this project going. This week's guest is really, really changing things up. She's managed to create a completely different path for herself and it's a really encouraging story. So we are chatting with performance psychology coach and founder and director of The Performer's Edge, 
Kaylin Howarth. We met years ago in the opera and classical music scene in Melbourne, Australia. Her training as a classical singer led to performances in Australia and Europe. As a performer, Kaylin saw firsthand the challenges faced by skilled practitioners in the performing arts. Her understanding of the specific challenges faced by performing artists combined with her interest in psychology led to a change in career direction. So she turned to university to study psychology and has now started The Performer's Edge, a company offering personalised coaching and workshop sessions which help performers overcome challenges and reach their goals. Our chat covered topics like having awareness of one's own career and personal direction, growing a business, describing the role of a coach, how to self-motivate... And we have some fun on the nine-year gap quiz as well. Let's get to the chat now. Hi, Kaylin. Hello. So lovely to see you. Yeah, you too. It's been, I actually don't know how many years. Uh, it would be at least... So many years. I'm, I'm going to say at least five. Let's throw it there. Four or five, at least. I reckon I reckon at least five. I reckon we're we're underestimating how long it's been, so it's so nice to reconnect. Oh, the old days. The world was so different back then. Uh, <laughs> a time when we could leave our houses without having to think about it. Yeah, exactly. No one would have thought this would happen. Hey, by the way, I'm liking <laughs> I'm liking this uh this uh swivel chair of yours. It's very Oh. It's got this thank spa- you. Very space comfortable. age. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very uh, it looks like you're I don't want to say dictatorial, but it looks like you get things done. Look, I look I can I can command a room with the swivel. Mm, mm. <laughs> so what's been going on? I've seen that uh, you've started a new company and you're always busy. That's one thing I know about you. You're always getting things done and now you've taken a new direction. Yeah. So ha- that's a good point. I am always busy. I do always seem to be very busy. My friends have always said that. Um, but God, it's been where to start really. The last few years, I've actually been living in London the last few years myself. Um okay. And I only came back at the end of last year. And I, yeah, the in the last within the last twelve months, I've started my business, the Performers Edge, and that's been keeping me really busy. And gosh, it's I feel like a lot has been happening, but that's the thing that's been taking up most of my time over the last twelve months. But yeah, for the Performers Edge, this performance coaching business that I started for performing mm-hmm. and creative artists. Had you done a business before? No, I had never thought of myself as particularly entrepreneurial, um, but I just really saw the need for this type of offering, this type of service, and it's something that I had wanted to do for a long time. That's actually why I went back and studied psychology in the first place, and it sort of just... I didn't know how to start. I I wasn't quite sure where to get the ball rolling from, and then it kind of got to last year, and I thought, Now's the time. Now's the time to learn how to how to do it, how to start a business. And twelve months later, COVID, global pandemic, and it's been a whirlwind, but something that has been such a massive learning opportunity and incredibly just interesting and um, valuable uh, experience. Absolutely, your timing couldn't be any better. I mean, it's been absolute shellacking to <laughs> artists and, and not just artists, sports people, anyone that has to perform anything. No uh, one, yeah. no one saw it coming. So it seems as if uh, you 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 felt maybe deep inside that there was some sort of need on a real big scale. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we needed more of this type of service before there was a global pandemic and the entire arts industry got shut down. But I just feel 
Like it's been such a privilege to be able to work with people during this time who mm. have been going through such a challenging time and providing that support um, during a particularly difficult time as though it wasn't challenging enough being in the arts with the sort of uncertainty and the instability of working in the industry. And then you, you know, place a, a global pandemic where everything gets shut down on top of that and the, the difficulty of the industry is just compounded, um, you know, by tenfold. And so, yeah, it's been a real pleasure and just such a, an honour to work with people during this time and hear about their stories, which have been pretty pretty it's difficult. Pre- yeah, it's pretty grim. I mean, what can you run us through what it's a typical approach to someone? Like what is it that you're doing? It really depends on the people that I work with. So I do both one-on-one coaching and I run group coaching courses as well. So with the one-on-one coaching people come to me with certain challenges. So whatever it is that they're facing in relation to their work, some of you know the common challenges that people face are things around uh, confidence, like actually having the belief that they can do the things that they want to do in relation to their performing or creative endeavors, you know, uncertainty about what direction they want to go in, having challenges around things like performance anxiety. So the the one-on-one coaching is very bespoke in that we, whatever challenges that that person is facing, we sort of come up with a real plan as to how to overcome those challenges. Mm -hmm. And then the group coaching courses that I run focus on very specific challenges that, that performers face. And so we have a series of group sessions where we have um, sort of conversations around challenges, like, as I said, performance anxiety, things like perfectionism, um, things like how to prepare effectively for a performance. And so that's where I've got, we get people from all over the world, all different kind of creative backgrounds come together to learn about some of the key tools and techniques to help with some of the most major challenges that performers um, face. And you have people working with you. You have a team or it's it's at the moment it's you're covering it's a lot of It's just me. Yeah. It's, it's just me at the moment. So one one woman band at the moment and that's right the Joni the Joni Mitchell of uh, of performance uh, coaching <laughs> absolutely and yeah just me at the moment and that's kind of I'm really enjoying that at the moment working for yeah. myself never something that I've done before you work way more hours than if you were working a full-time job because you've got to build something from scratch and yeah, you make you have to make so many mistakes along the way to figure out what's going to work, um, what isn't going to work. But then it's such a lovely feeling to see something that you're building growing and actually doing something that you find really pleasurable and inspiring to actually do every day um so yeah i feel incredibly grateful yeah that's what that's that's the best way to feel because it's difficult enough as it is to to not really feel the passion for it but uh i mean what kind of performers are we talking about is it mainly classical type performers i mean your background is in classical singing Mm. i mean unless you did some other performance that that i don't know about (laughs) No, so quite varied. So if I look to the, the the current group coaching course that I'm running, I've got um, opera singers, I've got opera directors and producers, okay. I've yeah. got actors, dancers, musical theatre people, um, conductors, 
anyone who really works within the creative industries who needs to be at the top of their game, really. Um, some, 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 most of my one-on-one clients have been from the musical, uh, like classical music background, uh, but that's now starting to really um, expand out. I've worked with directors, uh, as I said, and sort of um, – composers one-on-one as well um but but yeah people from all over the world it's it's amazing uh what you're able to do through the internet as we're able to do right now you know i've got people that i'm working with in estonia and switzerland and slovenia and the uk and australia and Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. just yeah well what's the difference between the the thoughts and and concerns or anxiety and whatever it is for directors in comparison to a performer in, in your experience what- interesting yeah interesting question and you know what i think so many of the challenges that they face are similar or or identical almost to what a performer might encounter and a lot of it just comes down to as I said earlier like the main challenges that people have uh, in my experience the people that I've worked with is how to actually have that confidence where you can fully put yourself into what it is that you do without having any doubt about yourself Um, I I know that I can uh, talk from my personal experience as a performer uh, and I'm sure that you can relate to this as well as a performer um, and from the directors and, and conductors that I've worked with as well, that's the key sort of challenge. How do I actually get out of my head and not let the the negative talk that is happening inside my head inhibit me from performing my best on the day or in, in um, for a director being able to, um, you know, get across my, my creative uh, mindset or my creative ideas in a way that's inspiring to the people that I'm working with. Mm. So even though there might be sort of slight um, differences um, in the specific challenges that a director might have to um, a performer, when I look at the the main challenges, the overall problems that people face, it's so much to do with what's going on inside our minds and how to get out of our own heads to let ourselves just do what we do best. Mm-hmm. You always been someone that can pick people's brains. I've always been interested in understanding why people work the way they do and mm-hmm. why some people succeed in things and other people don't. Uh, I was always really interested in this this nature nurture debate of why does that person who has exactly the same, you know, well, not exactly the same, but a very similar upbringing yeah. to that person have, uh, you know, ha- has achieved um, a certain thing by a certain age and this person, um, you know, maybe hasn't achieved quite as much in relation to what they want to. Why does that happen? How can we support people to be the best version of themselves and it just happens that obviously I've been working in the creative industries because that's my passion Um, but it's I've always just had an interest in that for anyone really any kind of different area and so I'm just trying to sort of dig into your your mindset there where you were performing I mean give us a little background about your performance history just to just to give a little context there sure so I started going a very brief history of Kaylin. Yep, sure. <laughs> I um, I grew up in, in Queensland in Cairns and I played the violin from quite a really young age mm-hmm. and really just enjoyed that and picked it up quite quickly. You must and, go, go out of tune um, a lot in Cairns with, with the humidity. <laughs> uh, 
Absolutely, yes. I'm sure my parents have many horror stories. They're like, is that is that her playing or is that the tuning? <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. mean, it's a bit of both. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's, the, it's the tuning. Go on. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, not at all. And then got to high school, was in the music class, and so joined the school choir, mm-hmm. which led to getting singing lessons, which yeah. led to moving to, to Melbourne to study at the Conservatorium of Music there at Melbourne University. Okay. And um, – performing in opera and sort of oratorio and I was involved in a lot of chamber and choral singing as well so okay. sort of did a couple of tours of uh, of Europe with the Australian Chamber Choir oh, cool. and was really in, quite heavily involved in sort of the early music scene for a while okay. I really enjoyed music of that period and um, had the opportunity to sort of do uh, a number of roles with with various um uh, companies in 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 Melbourne um, sung a lot with Melbourne Opera and mm-hmm. and Victorian Opera and yeah. well that's how we that's how we met just for the for the folks at home I think Melbourne Opera I don't know it was one of those productions or something at least that group yeah. of Melbourne Opera singers yeah so that's that's the connection there there's a big scene there though isn't it there's a lot happening in in yeah in in a city like Melbourne yeah we are so many performers and in opera itself. It's just a huge community. Absolutely, it's there's a lot there's a lot happening here under normal conditions, obviously, yeah. um, in a, in a pre COVID world. But for a city of however million people it is, what is it four or four or five million people by mm, now? Like that, yeah. There's a lot of different. Yeah, there's a lot of obviously, um, you know, fully professional, um, the fully professional opera companies, but then there's the semi-professional and um, sort of community opera companies as well. And so we we'd be bat pretty far above our above above our weight, I reckon, mm-hmm, in terms mm-hmm. of the amount and the quality of the the singers that are coming out of the city for sure. Yeah, and also what's interesting to know for people who are outside of this world is that even when you're a professional, you still well, not everyone, but you may be doing pro amateur as well at the same time. You know, you're always mm. building. There's, it's sometimes difficult to tell what level um, of, of budget and profession it is. That has something to do with the psychological impact on the performer, doesn't it? It really does because there's so much, I mean, financial uncertainty because yeah. it's, it is um, – a lot of people don't want to pay performers these days. And so we have so many years of training to get to a point where we are at the level that we're at. And I don't think it's really appreciated in the wider community how much time and energy and money has gone into um, building our skills to that point. And there isn't as much professional work in Australia as there is overseas, yeah. uh, at least ongoing professional mm-hmm. work. And so it is a real struggle for people here. It's a really fantastic place to study because we have so many amazing teachers and places to study, but then everyone sort of comes out of university. And uh, I mean, like anywhere in the world, there's just far more people going for roles or paid positions than there are positions available. And that can have a real impact on on people's psychological well-being because they love what they do and they it's very hard to, to make that breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And so when you were in that world, you, were, you, you trained, you went to university, then mm. you were doing some performances for income or mm. were you working other jobs? What, what was the situation for you? Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Working, working lots of jobs, lots of different jobs. I mean, yeah. I had singing students of my own. I was a singing teacher. I worked in schools. I worked um, in cathedrals and, and church choirs on the weekends as, as a part of the professional choirs. Oh, yeah. funerals, uh, I did I suppose, weddings or, yeah. and funerals and those types of things. Mm-hmm. And But then I also, you know, I've had my fair share during my university years of retail and I worked as an usher at the Arts Centre in Melbourne which was an amazing um, job. I loved that job. Um, and, yeah, so a real, a real um, mix of different, different kinds of jobs because in, in those uh, early days and even into fully professional um, opera singers often have to have a, an additional source of income to sort of help them get by. Mm-hmm. Are you drawing from those other experiences? I mean, when you were working during that time, I imagine it was the idea was to supplement and to enable you to do your art. Mm. But was there anything else going on in your mind? Did you think, oh, actually, this is something that, you know, I've got skills here? Or did, were you able to identify the other parts of Kaylin, not just the singer, not just the musician? Back when I was performing full, sort of full time, that was my main focus the the jobs that I was doing outside of that were predominantly uh, supplemental income to what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and I didn't see that being uh, a career that I would want to pursue. I had always had this interest in psychology, even from when I was very young. Okay. Um, and I guess that is sort of the the main uh, other area that I had an interest in from an early age. And if I hadn't studied music first first off, then that's something that I was always really interested in. But when I was younger, when I was at school, music and singing was the only thing I really ever saw myself doing, at least at that stage in my life. It's interesting how we can keep certain interests dormant. You know, they're there, and then you get submerged into this awesome world of music. I mean, it's interesting you've you've managed to to link back to those early interests. Is there something that you can tell us that sort of was the impetus to to actually go because you told us you got you did psychology and that was in order to be an effective performance coach, if I've understood that correctly. Mm. Mm. That step before that you know, what can you tell us about that? Was it, okay, it's time to do this. Was there an event? Was there a mentor? Friends, were they saying, Mm. oh, you know what, you should really be giving this a a good go? What happened? I think for me, what I realized was I absolutely loved singing. I loved performing. Um, But once I got into doing it as my full-time job, I kind of came to the realization that what it took to be a professional performer, Mm -hmm. it wasn't quite aligned with who I, how I saw myself being in the future and the kind of personality that I had to to be a a full-time professional opera singer. It requires a lot of travel. It requires um, a a level of comfort with instability and Mm -hmm. uncertainty. And as I as I grew older and became sort of very aware of what it would take in order to be a professional opera singer, I kind of realized that I'm I wasn't certain that was the life that was best suited to who I was as a person. And 
that was something that was really hard to come to terms with. Um, and I kind of think of that time with, with a lot of sadness to an extent, because you definitely do have this, this sense of connection to that. And you, you see that as an integral part of who you are. Mm -hmm. I'm Kaylin, the opera singer. I'd always introduce myself, you know, what do you do for a living? Oh, and there was a sense of pride in saying, I'm an opera singer. I'm a classical singer. People people go, oh, that's so cool. I love, I love Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And you're like, oh, that's good. Good for you. Um, (laughs) And I think I sort of just, I realized that the kind of life that I wanted to live, maybe that wasn't quite the, the, the path that was going to give me that kind of life. I knew that I was incredibly passionate about classical music and, and the industry and supporting the industry, and I really yeah. feel as though it's a, a really important part of the society that I want to live yeah. in anyway. Um, but that perhaps my role could be, could be slightly different and yeah. I could use the, the knowledge and skills that I gained in a slightly different way to, in order to support people um, to be the, the best singer or the best dancer or actor from a psychological perspective in order to succeed at what they want to do. So hmm. that's in a, you know an abbreviated version of sort of how I've gotten to where I am and it kind of gave me the opportunity to to invest some time in, in something that I'm – really passionate about as well which is psychology and then combine those skills with yeah with my musical background and and also the fact that there's not really any one there's not a lot of people who do this kind of thing specifically within the performing arts it's very common in sports it's very common within the corporate world to have coaches who who sort of support people to to be at their best consistently but it's not something that is is common yet within the arts and i really want that to change and that's sort of why i'm i'm now Mm -hmm. doing what i'm doing hoping to to make an impact and for this to become something that people are more familiar with and 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 are open to yeah because the more that people realize that uh, one of the ingredients to a successful theater company for example is performance coaching if that becomes part of the uh the utilities that are available then there's no stigma. Then people are more comfortable to do it. And maybe mm. uh, less people would be in situations where they feel trapped. I remember that one of the famous mm. uh, mezzo-sopranos, uh, Joyce DiDonato, she said in an interview once, she said, I realised, and I'm paraphrasing, that I didn't have to do this career. And when she realised that, there was a certain freedom involved. I think it's mm. really um, clear, uh, and, and it's, it's interesting you say, that your contribution to the arts didn't have to be performance because I think performers think my contribution to this art form has to be actually being on stage and that that's synonymous to contributing, but it really isn't. It's you, you identified how you could make it make a difference um, in the same industry whilst drawing on, on other knowledge that that's very liberating to hear, you know, because if, if, if you're just studying music at a conservatoire and a lot of people have, they're in that situation, it's very natural to think, well, how else can I make a difference here? Absolutely, yeah. Mm. And What's your advice for, for someone to find the other strings to, to their bow, intellectually and, and, and as a person? Yeah, I think it's, it's something that comes up a lot um, in the conversations that I have. And I think being 
self-aware enough to know what motivates you is the is I think the first step and that's a lot of the work that I do with people because people as you said uh, sort of get into the industry and and find themselves trapped because they've gone down a certain path and they feel like maybe they have gone down that path to the end and now they feel trapped and not quite sure what direction to, to now pursue. And I think being aware enough of sort of being able to say, this is what wake, this is what I wake up to do every day. This is what, if I could do this every day, I would be happy to do that. And it's funny the amount of people who aren't really aware of that. They sort of just do what they do. And this isn't just within the music or the creative no, industries. No, no. This is any industry. They just sort of get into something and then they're like, well, I don't really have any other skills. Or they, or, but they don't know how to use the skills that they've got to maybe sort of pivot into a slightly different direction in order to continue being motivated to want to go in, in, in that direction. Um, and I see that being the case for myself. I, I see myself being, you know, doing a whole range of different things uh, in my life that that draw on the experiences that I've got. It might not always be in exactly the same way as I am now as a performance coach. Um, you know, what's maybe in 10, 15 years time, I might want to try something else. And, and what skills can I um, draw on that I've gained from my work as an opera singer and a performance coach to go in a slightly different direction. So I have a lot of conversations with people about identifying their why. Why do you, what gets you up in the morning? What motivates you? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're doing things that you're passionate about and inspire you, um, then you you know, you'll be learning every day. You'll be, you'll be motivated each day to do what it is that you do rather than becoming stagnate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I found. Uh, I mean, I'm still singing. I mean, it's still part of my life. But generally, when, when you're pursuing that elite level, all of the elements have to kind of be in check. And when one of them isn't, we can just call it the passion indicator. That's one way of, of, of explaining it, I suppose, because if you're going to put all the time and effort into all the elements that make it work learning the languages, really understanding your texts, the characters, uh, all this other stuff that isn't the technical singing element, if that's not um, really energised, then there's something wrong. Mm. Do, do you help people do the opposite? And rather than finding what's, what's working, do you ever focus on the negative aspects and go from there? I suppose it, it just depends. It really depends on the certain challenges that people are having, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But if people come and they say, I'm not enjoying this aspect of what I'm doing, yeah. then absolutely we, we, you know, do a deep dive into, okay, what is it about that? Where, you know, where has that come from? And how can we either change how you experience that so that it's no longer longer a hindrance to you? Or is that something that you need to still continue doing? Because as humans, we are changing consistently and what really motivates you as a 21 year old may not be exactly the same thing as what Mm. motivates you as a 31 year old or a 41 year old or whatever age it is Mm -hmm. and I think we need to be open to the idea that that is the case and if we do find ourselves at a at a junction where we think I'm not quite what I've been doing for the past 10 years isn't quite doesn't make me feel as it used to make me feel being courageous enough and being open enough to really admit that and and you know 
taking a slightly different turn. Not It may not be, you know, away from the industry necessarily, um, but what's uh, something new that we can focus on within the industry, uh, a different area of the industry that, you know, will continue to excite you and motivate you because, we're not we're not sort of designed as human beings to to do the same exactly the same thing every no. single day for our entire lives. We're, we're we're born to learn and to develop and evolve, and so um, being open to that evolution, I think, as a performer, is especially in times that we're in now, more important than ever. Yeah, well said. I was just thinking about performance coach experience for uh, for a performer. Would you ever? think a masterclass would work for that where an audience could watch a performer going through and you know some sort of performance issue and you working with them in front of them could that work that's a really good question and to be honest it's not something that i've really spoken about oh, we're full of them here at nine year gap absolutely and i i think it could definitely be a valuable thing because it is what i do is basically have have conversations with people to yeah. to open up a sense of awareness to how they're thinking, whether or not those thoughts and subsequently the behaviors that lead from those thoughts are helpful to them in them achieving their goals. And sometimes it is so much of what we we do in our lives is, is in our heads. It's our thoughts, it's our internal dialogue with ourselves that of course, seems yeah. totally normal in our minds, the things that we tell ourselves. But as soon as those things come out into the open and you have a conversation with someone, you sort of think, wow, okay, that actually sounds unhelpful or why am I saying that to myself or how have I come to that conclusion, which as now that I say that aloud is, uh, is obviously untrue or whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, so I could definitely see that being a valuable thing. And I think that's, you know, I think that's why the group coaching um, that I do is actually really powerful because it is having conversations in a group context where you're able to hear the experiences of other performers or creatives yeah, yeah. and what they're going through and seeing the similarities between how you're th- experiencing a certain aspect of your craft um, or your life relative to somebody else. And so, uh, you know, seeing that there are people going through similar challenges to you can, could, you know, is incredibly valuable. And so, yeah, I could definitely see, uh, you know, a masterclass situation being a valuable thing to consider. My brain's ticking because I'm a producer now. I'm thinking there could be something, when you're back in London, there could be something we could uh, arrange because it would be very interesting to watch. And, you know, one of the, the frustrations for me as, as a performer has always been if you are struggling mentally or with with uh, with the words or with the connecting with the character or in your preparation for a role people will, s- will respond to that either with frustration or encouragement okay they're both relevant they're both uh, justified however there's so much gray between that that's needed constructive information not just oh you know forget about that you can do it i don't need to be told I can do it. I know I can do it. Mm. But what can you tell me that is going to get me to that place? Whether it's mm. uh, difficult to hear or not. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like I think a lot of yes. um, coaching, like motivation for, for performers is simply two-dimensional. You can do it. Mm. Absolutely. And I t- absolutely relate to that. It kind of um, I remember the most poignant thing that I remember from from my studies and from performing mm-hmm. it relates to this is 
is um, I used to suffer from performance anxiety, as a, a lot of people do. And I just remember a, someone, a coach, telling me once, just take a few deep breaths and you'll be fine. And yeah, you're not having a baby. It was I'm- actually, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was at that point where I thought that might work for somebody, mm-hmm. but you telling me that right now is actually so unhelpful. Um, and that's when I became really interested in the psychology of of personality and um, personality assessment and how you can sort of you know get an idea of somebody from taking an in-depth personality assessment. So I do that with all of my clients. And what that tells me is what motivates this person? What, what really, um, how can I harness their strengths? Okay. Uh, and how can I interact with this person that is going to be the most valuable for them? Because some people might really appreciate the whole, yeah, you got this, you can do it, you know, really sort of high energy yeah, motivating. Sure. There are those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you've seen on, yeah, like you've seen on TV, you know, the, the, the biggest loser or something. Sort of or, yelling. Yeah. Exactly. And some people might respond really well to that. But other people might actually find that quite confronting and even more anxiety uh, inducing. And so I think it's incredibly important as a coach, particularly when you're looking at psychological challenges, to be aware of who that person is, what motivates them, what drives them, um, what's the best way to interact with this person in order to get the best out of them. Because we're all very different from one another. And I think a lot of co- sort of um, a lot of coaches take on this idea that we're all the same and a, there's a one size fits all kind of approach. And I really don't believe that that's the case. Uh, and so having an understanding of who it is that you're working with and how to best work with them, I think is incredibly important. And that, that test that you do, is that a standard um, mm. particular industry quiz? So there are lots of different personality um, questionnaires out there. And the last few years, um, while we've been working in London, I've actually been working in consulting within the corporate world. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually more so you know, working with the leaders within organizations to, to sort of help them reach peak performance. Okay. So similar kind of concept, but a different area. And I use a particular um, tool called Hogan, which is um, used to identify people's strengths, maybe their development areas and what motivates them. That's the one that I use because I find it to have, um, it, it gives you the, uh, the most information, I think, and I find it to be a really good coaching tool. But there are many, many other tools out there for a similar purpose that give you an idea of this person's, um, yeah, what, what motivates them and who they are on, on a deep level. Mm-hmm. They probably should use these more in university. I mean, I don't like to categorize people, but the more I get on, the more I get on in this world, I I just think that people tick differently, that there's a different way of thinking. And a little bit of characterization could probably go a long way. I know there are IQ tests and there have been a lot of research that they're quite reliable uh, and a lot of uh, Mm. military organizations, for instance, use them. But don't you think that uh, in the arts, for instance, uh, if you knew more about yourself and what kind of personality you have, then you wouldn't waste time necessarily doing activities that might not serve you well. You know, you you, you get more more producers, Mm. more directors, more uh, whatever it is, you know, more agents, you know? Yeah, really interesting that you say that because I think 
Um, there isn't sort of like a this is the perfect personality type for being a performer or this is a perfect personality type for being a CEO. It's not it's not a categorization, the, the use of these types of tools. What it is is a self-awareness tool. So, okay, okay you know, you've got, you've got someone who wants to pursue a career as a professional opera singer. We know that to be a professional opera singer, you need to be resilient. You need to be someone who's fairly okay with uncertainty. You need to be someone someone who's willing to sort of, you know, go fly from here to New York at a moment's notice for a for a potential opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we know that there are certain things that are um, helpful in order to be a professional opera singer. Yeah. Now, if you, if the, you know, we identify through one of these personality tests that that's not an area that you're naturally good at, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you can't do it. That just means that you are now aware that this could be a challenge for you. And what are the things that you need to do or how do we need to change the way that you approach a situation for that to not completely overwhelm you? Um, so, there, yes, it's not. It's not necessarily a. Oh, you're not naturally a confident person, and so therefore you better not pursue a career in opera singing. Um, that's not the reason why I use it. It's more. It's more a way of sort of finding out. Okay, you do have these things, so how can we really harness those strengths? Because we know those things are yeah, before they get out of hand. Exactly, yeah. but how can mm. we also then? Um, look at those development areas or things that might not come as naturally to you how can we build up those areas how can we strengthen those areas just as you as you would a muscle a physical muscle okay you know you want to you know I don't know, do be able to do a hundred push-ups by the end of the month or something okay yeah. but your biceps are really weak um, we need to engage in some some exercises for that exactly the same way you do that for for these psychological areas how can we build up that area so that it's not so much of a challenge for you? Hmm. Okay. Well, that I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It, you're speaking to someone here who never really had any psychological training, or I didn't go to a psychologist, which I I really regret because it's so useful. You know, as you say, the the mental side of us, the psychological side. I'm not sure what the correct terminology is. That's a muscle, and it can get very weak over time and damaged, and it simply needs to be strengthened and given. The advice to 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 soldier on it's it just saves time you know mm. i find that a lot of people will go mm, no would have been great to know that 10 years ago you know mm. um so yeah you, i i think it's very useful what what work you're doing because you are helping people get on track quicker yeah, and I think, you know, you say people are saying, oh, that would have been really helpful to know 10 years ago, and I absolutely agree. I think that about myself as a performer. Yeah. God, I would have... I would have loved to have known, have had the self-awareness mm. to sort of identify that, oh, I'm not actually someone who's particularly okay with uncertainty. Great. Okay. What do I need to, is there something that I can do about that? What kind of situations do I need to put myself in to build that muscle? Um, and I'm hoping that by making this more of a conversation that people have, that mm-hmm. there aren't people like us in 10 years' time in the, within the creative industries saying to themselves, God, I wish I'd known that ten years ago. Maybe more people would still be in this in the industry, making a contribution to this really important um, area of, of our society. And I just want, yeah, I want to empower people in in the arts to to really be able to recognize the strengths that they have, the things mm. that they do naturally have, um, but also to enable them to build upon the areas that might not be 
strong or as strong as they want them to be yet. I think that's such an important word, yet. It's not as though you can't build those things just because right now you don't feel particularly confident in yourself or right now you don't, you know, you experience severe performance anxiety. That's not a trait. That's not something that just is you. That Mm. is, you know, an experience that you're currently having and it's something that through the right conversations and the right um, you know, uh, exercises and, and things that you do, that's changeable. Absolutely. Rather than just uh, sweep it under the carpet or, or you know, take drugs or whatever people do to manage yeah. it, it's not, it can't be a solution. Yeah, and I, I, I like to use the analogy of like rather than referring to yourself as someone who is an anxious person, I hear that a lot, like, oh, I'm a really anxious person and I really struggle with you know, anxiety and performing. Yeah. No, you're someone who is experiencing anxiety. So making a separation okay. from the fact that you're not an anxious person, that's just a label that you've put on yourself. Yes, you might be, you know, have a predisposition towards experiencing anxiety, but the fact that you're relating to yourself as an anxious person already um, puts you at a disadvantage of sort of challenging that because you're relating to yourself as this thing. Whereas if you separate that from I'm a person who experiences anxiety, that's far more, has more it's more of a growth mindset and it's something that you're over, able to sort of overcome. You, you know, you, mm-hmm. you may not feel as confident as you want to yet, but you're able to to make those changes so that in the future you are more confident and able to perform more consistently at a level that you're happy with. Yeah, yeah. And I think people do that accidentally and they go, oh, well, I managed to, to get over this before. What, what, why can't I do it yeah. this time? Uh, people are really so much better than they think they are, aren't they? God, yeah. People really underestimate themselves and what they're capable of um, because that's just the label that they've put on themselves from, you know, maybe you had a bad experience once of the performance and you were nervous and you went on stage and it all just was not very good. And from that point on, you've sort of just said, oh, no, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore because I had that experience. and I'm not a good performer. Just because you had this one experience where you didn't perform well. But it's really like the, the, the changes that I see in people is really quite, you know, astounding just by having open conversations with, with people and, and looking at how they can, you know, harness their strengths because we all have innate strengths and we can all build upon the areas that need development as well. You've said it so well. Very clear. You can find Kaylin's, uh, check out our website, theperformersedge.com. Have I got that right? Theperformersedge.world. Oh, Entschuldigung. Oh. Uh, let's have a look. We've got, uh, uh, yes, theperformersedge.world. <laughs> That's great. When did you, why did you pick that one? Obviously, there was a choice. Was there a choice? There was a choice. It was a choice of that I, I want it to be, a worldwide change you know there's performers and creatives all over the world and i want to i want to make a change for those people i like that you're thinking big that's what you got to do out there i think that we have got a lot out of that that was like free counseling thank you oh uh, and uh, my that's, pleasure I, I, i'm sure people are going to that's going to help them get some direction there and some clarity so are you ready for some fun Absolutely. Okay, we've got, we've got the nine-year gap quiz here. Let's get into it, all right? So what, what is your favourite childhood breakfast? Can't go past Vegemite on toast. 
Wow, that's the first one of those. Very good. Yep. Is it? Oh, wow. Is that butter, margarine underneath it? What? What's the? Has to be butter. Has to be butter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, butter. And the best is sort of like, I mean, not that I really had this much as a as a child. It was sort of white bread, butter, Vegemite. But these days, I love a bit of sourdough, fresh white sourdough. Butter, Vegemite, beautiful. Oh, it's a, it's, it's a more Michelin star style Vegemite on toast. Okay. <laughs> <The> posh version. <laughs> yes, we call it Vegemite on toast. Very nice. So that's very fun. And what would you have for breakfast these days? Is that, is that continuing? It sounds like it is. Oh, well, I, still, I would still have that, absolutely. But, um, I mean, I live in Melbourne now and you can't go past a, a Melbourne brunch. Uh, I mean, today I went out for the first brunch in about – six months because of the the restrictions and I had poached eggs on avocado smash um and feta so so Melbourne so (laughs) Melbourne and I had a flat white and yeah so that's that's my idea of a perfect uh perfect breakfast these days that that would be the Melbourne or I don't want to say Australian but I know that you know breakfast is big in Brisbane and Sydney as well and Adelaide so we could call that an Australian dish isn't it absolutely yeah I mean mm. I'm, I'm a Melbourneian now through and through but uh, so I'm not as familiar with the other cities breakfast uh, intakes but yes I can definitely say that for Melbourne and I'm I'm sure that it's it's popular in other areas as well oh, very good well, what was it all that world business before and now now you don't want to <laughs> <laughs> oh I, I i just can't i just don't have a lot of personal experience but i'm absolutely I certain see. that uh, it's as uh, as popular there as here but i can only speak from my experience in melbourne being a, a melbourne fair enough fair enough who who is one of your favorite uh, most dear historical figures and if you met them what would you ask them oh i like that um I mean, I absolutely love. If my, my favorite composer is is Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, mm-hmm. and I just find his music. I can really connect with his music, and I would love to ask how, like, what's what would I ask? Something along the lines of, how do you come up with your ideas? Is it something that sort of comes to you? This comes back to the psychological, the interest that I have in in the psychology. You know, is, is it something that you just rely on your knowledge of how music works or is it do ideas just come to you? Is it sort of like this intuitive mm-hmm. thing for you? Um, I'm really interested in that idea because his music was so new and so sort of um, outrageous in a lot of ways for the time. Yeah. And and I would just love to know where that sort of evolution came from in his thinking. Mm. I mean, he's definitely noted for really representing his psyche through his music and the situation. Mm. I think he had, I don't know how many dozen children he had, like he had a very tough life. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know, I've, I've often heard uh, high-end musicians talk about Bach and how they, they mm. feel that he's one of the psychological composers. So it's interesting that you, you mm-hmm. picked him. Uh, what, mm. what is a guilty guilty pleasure food and or drink? I mean, the easiest one for for drink is red wine. I uh, I love mm-hmm. red wine, um, so that's my guilty drink. And food, oh, um, oh, Nutella. I really have a okay. bit of a. Uh, I can't buy it. I can't keep it in the house. It's just too dangerous. It's kryptonite. It is. Mm-hmm. It is, yep. So Nutella, I would say. Ah, oh, very nice, very nice. A good combination there. <laughs> now, these are two, two, two very easy questions. Okay. Okay. Pick one of these. Chocolate, vanilla, strawberry or matcha? Vanilla. 
Very good. I think that's the second vanilla we've had. Good. Mm-hmm. Bit of represent for the vanilla. Um, no, no one said matcha so far. Um, <laughs> I think I, did, I think I did actually. Um, okay, pineapple on a pizza? Yes or no? No. Very good. Very good. That's one for another one for the nose. Very good. Yes, I've lived in Italy, um, and yes, no. As a, I, I just no. I mean, don't get me okay. wrong. I've had it, but no. It's a respectful no. It's a respectful no. Yes. <laughs> okay. Have you ever embellished on a CV? Oh yes. Finally, you see that's some honesty. <laughs> Very good. I mean, embellishment is, is not a bad thing. The usual answer is no, and it's not a criticism. I understand where they're coming from. It could be the interpretation of the word embellishment as well. Uh, mm. But, I mean, aren't we embellishing every day? You know, how was your day? Uh, it wasn't bad. Absolutely. Well, that's almost, that's covering up the fact that maybe a lot of things happen. You just don't want to want to talk about it. But uh, Absolutely. No, this, I've never lied about anything, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. you've got you've to put yourself in the best uh, light. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well said. What's your favourite animal? Oh, I love dogs. I, I really would love to get a dog. I saw that I think you have gotten a dog recently. Yes, Tula is not in the room right now because she tends to, like, eat the cables and my feet and everything whilst I do the interview. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll introduce her to you when you get a chance to. I would love that. Yeah, they're, they're pretty amazing, aren't they? Yeah, dogs for sure. I've um, always I've always wanted to have a dog of my own, but the lifestyle of a uh, uh, opera singer, then sort of traveller, then student um, and living in London, um, yes, hasn't hasn't quite been possible yet, but I, mm-hmm. I, I would love to get one soon, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, once you find you know that real base of a of a city to mm. stay in, then mm. then I'm sure it'll be very possible. Mm. If you could do any job for one day, what would it be? Oh, I love the idea of being a pastry chef. Mm, yes, I love. I mean, I love eating pastries. It's a mm-hmm. favorite pastime of mine, and I I used to I have sort of fallen out of the habit of it a little bit lately, but I I loved baking. Um, but I never, you know, had any, um, you know, did any classes or anything like that. But I would love mm-hmm. to um, make all those really fine sort of French-style pastries. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. It's a great lifestyle. If you, I, I don't know if you've, um, yeah, episode two, we had Paris Shea Sharon is a, is a, a big Instagram following there and they've got all these pastries mm. in Paris and it's uh it, you've yeah. got to check it out I'll uh well you could see see on the episode two there's all the Great. links there it's just a smorgasbord of good pastry and you can feel your belly growing mm. as, you, as you look at it but I totally get that the precision mm. of pastry oh yeah, yeah everything about it everything that I don't eat right now <laughs> um can you give us uh, <laughs> can you give us one line uh, in order to have a satisfying life satisfied life Hmm. Make sure you know what you love, and then do what you love. Mm-hmm. I think, as you know, okay. as we were speaking about earlier, it's very easy to sort of do something just because it's what we've always done. And what you loved, what you love doing now, might be different to what you loved doing ten years ago. So be open to change. Maybe that's maybe that's it. Maybe be open to change. Um, okay. yeah, I think that's actually right. a better a better one line because who knows what life's going to throw your way. 
be open to be open to change. Yeah, yeah, be open. Yeah, it doesn't mean it has to happen, but just it's mm. a mentality, isn't it? Yeah. What are you watching at the moment? I just started watching Billions. There's a character. I was so thinking about you when you were explaining things earlier. I was Wendy, like, um, thinking about Wendy, the character, the psychologist, uh, Wendy. Oh, <laughs> that's such a, an amazing character. But do, do you channel oh, Wendy? She's channel a bit of a her? badass. I'm not quite sure if I could um, channel um, yeah. channel Wendy into into what I do, but she's very. Um, She's interesting anyway, an interesting character to to be watching, that's for sure, who, you know, doing a similar thing to what I do, but in a very different context. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, I mean, you never know. Would we ever be seeing you, uh, you know, in-house in a, in, a, in a bank or a corporate setting? It could happen? I mean, coming back to what I said, be open to change. Right now, I don't see, you know, that happening, but mm-hmm. I yeah. have, you know, if, if I wake up one day and... And think that I would be able to learn something and and grow by doing that, then I'm not going to say absolutely not. There's nothing that I'm ever going to say I wouldn't do because I think one of my biggest mottos in life is just one of the biggest things that drives me is just constantly learning, constantly evolving. And if there was the opportunity to learn and evolve by doing that, then I wouldn't say no. Yeah, interesting. Well, it's a changing world, and uh, usually I try and keep the magic alive that each episode is is uh, recorded on, when it happens uh, for nine year gap. But this is actually the U.S. election mm. day, so that's like three weeks ago. If you're hearing this now, so we don't know what world we're dealing with right yeah. now, but uh, we all have to be bracing ourselves for potential change. Uh, and, and you know what? Let's think of it as an exciting thing. Mm. You know, change has to be seen as a positive thing. Otherwise, we just make make life a little bit harder for ourselves. Yeah. But uh, we're lucky that we've got people like you around that uh, that help us get our bearings. And I really wish I wish this venture, you know, wish you the best of luck with it because I know that a lot of people need it. Uh, and I wish I had had it uh, earlier. It may have changed things for me. You mm. never know. So. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure and, um, yeah, just a, a, so lovely to reconnect after after such a long time. Yeah, no, really nice. So hopefully, who knows what city uh, we'll be uh, running into each other, but, uh, we, you know, we'll definitely keep the conversation going. Really great work today. It was really I got my a lot pleasure. Out of it, Thank so you. Thanks. And I'm already missing London after being there for two years. I am missing it. So hopefully I'll be back there soon when the when the borders open again. Yeah, well, I'm missing it too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in north northwest London, and uh, you know we yeah. just don't go into town anymore. So you know, no, I'm, mm. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling. I know what you're saying. Have a great uh, rest Thank of the you. evening for you. I'm having my morning coffee. I'm sorry, I I, I can't uh, I can't function without that. No problem. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, great to see. You. Yeah, very good. That's actually <laughs> thank you. That's it. Now we've completely got our bearings right. All the best, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll be in touch. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon. Okay then. Night. Bye. Bye. See ya. Well, it's very clear to me that Kaylin is really passionate about the well-being of her clients. You'd almost say that it was, it was almost like a sacred relationship that she has in, the, in that space. Her personalized and down-to-earth approach to listening and coaching is seeing results in many sectors. Even FTSE 100 future leaders are benefiting from Kayla's coaching. Next week, we keep in the area of careers which really help people overcome challenges. Our next guest has an inspirational and eye-opening history and is now changing lives with her inclusive Zumba and dance classes, health advocacy work and employment assistance to those dealing with mental health issues. We truly are surrounded by amazing people. 
Remember to follow us on our socials, all available on our link tree at Nine Year Gap, Instagram at Nine Year Gap, and the podcast page on robertbarbaro.com. I'm Robert Barbaro. Please look after yourself, stay safe, and let's keep the conversation going. See ya. Bye.